You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Today, we're getting a little bit later of a start than usual. We wanted to make sure the all-pro list was out because today is Friday, January 3rd. The AP's all-pro list is out. It includes six Ravens. That's right, six Ravens. So we'll talk about that at the front of the episode here. But of course, we have some other things to talk about. And I always want to start off with housekeeping. Some issues with the podcast. Well, not issues, but some things I want to talk about about the podcast, where you can find us, etc., etc. So make sure you are following the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening. Subscribe or follow us on those platforms. It helps us reach you whenever a new podcast is published every Friday. Um, But I do have an announcement to make about that. I am just want to let you know I am considering moving back to Wednesday once draft season actually begins again. That might be easier. Um, Of course, the NFL draft is on a Thursday. So if we get back to the Wednesday time, that actually might be... um, better, but we're looking into that, so nothing's official yet, but just in case um, I make a decision, you might know ahead of time that that's a possibility. So heading into the draft season, which we're not really going to start covering the draft until the Baltimore Ravens are actually done in the postseason, then we might consider going back to Wednesday just so we have that consistency moving up to the draft. Um, Speaking of the draft, we I actually have almost my entire draft board ready. I scaled it down from last year's, at least at the starting point, because last year I had too many prospects. I couldn't review them all. This year, I'm trying to get about 30 prospects to start, review them all, and maybe add some afterwards. But I pretty much have most of my draft board ready to go. I'm just waiting to make sure um, all the guys I have on it, because, you know, the college football playoff just ended. We have the college football national championship game. I believe it's next week. So we don't have everybody who's declared for the draft yet officially declared. There are some guys who are on the fence on my draft board. So before I release my draft board, I'm going to make sure all of the players on it have already declared for the draft. We won't, don't want to have anybody who's actually not in the draft on the draft board. So that's why it isn't out yet. But it, it's basically done. There's a few additions I want to make to it. Um, and our draft page on BaltimoreFeather.com, I, I worked a couple nights ago on the actual website putting some new things on there. The draft page for 2020 is up. We don't have any content yet. Um, the only thing that's actually there is a countdown. So if you're looking to see how much time it is to the NFL draft, um, I think it's about 113, 112 days at the time of this recording. It's getting a lot closer than, than we think. You know, once we're under 100, it's crunch time, right? We're basically in draft season at that point. But if you want to see the draft countdown, that's there, but everything else is not there yet. Um, we updated the podcast page as well. So if you're on BaltimoreFeather.com looking to find the Nest Talk podcast, it's on the podcast page. I updated a little bit. The newest episode will be there at the time of its publication every time. So if you want to listen every Friday night, it'll be there. Of course, you can also find it on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit the notification bell. That's how you know um, we get the podcast out. It'll be there. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Nest Talk. You can find the Baltimore Feather at Be More Feather on Twitter. You can find me at Chris Linfon on Twitter as well. Uh, if you want to find us on Facebook, just search up the Baltimore Feather or Nest Talk on Facebook. Um, and as of recent, recently, the podcast is now available on many platforms. I said Spotify, Apple Podcasts already, but it's on uh, Radio Public. It's on um, not Stitcher. Had some problems with getting on Stitcher. But it's on Radio Public, Player.fm, um, Overcast, a whole bunch of those other smaller podcast websites. So if you've ever pre- a preferred 
um, place to get your podcast. That's not YouTube. That's not iTunes. That's not Spotify. There's a good chance it's on there. And you can find the complete list on the podcast page on BaltimoreFeather.com. Just go to BaltimoreFeather.com and click on Podcasts in the menu bar. And you'll see, if you scroll down to Nest Talk, under Nest Talk, all the places you can find the podcast. You just click on which one you want, and it brings you right to the page, which is fantastic, I think. Um, it really helps a lot. So, without any further ado, let's get straight into the episode here. Um, I don't. Oh, wait, there's one more housekeeping thing, actually. Um, last week, I mentioned we are looking into making. Um, I don't like to call it merch for the website because it's not really website branded. It's not really Baltimore Feather branded. It's actually more Maryland and, and Ravens sports kind of stuff. Obviously, not licensed by the Ravens. It's not anything knockoff. Um, but I do have a couple products I am going to begin selling. Hopefully, once I get the samples back from the factory. Um, Next week is the goal. I believe I'll get the samples on Monday and Tuesday um, in two separate shipments. And I want—I just want a quality control, test them, see if they're okay. It looks like we're going to start with mugs. That's what we want to do. That's always what I thought. I thought a little bit about t-shirts, but mugs, I think, are the best way to go. Um, and I, I have some nice designs for some mugs. If you are if you want to buy them, if you want to take a look at them, we will have it. Um, we'll talk about that on the next show, of course. But we'll have links on the website, and of course we'll have links on social media as well once that comes out. And I really like the one, des- I have a one design to start with. I really like it. I think a lot of uh, Maryland sports fans would actually want to have this mug, and it's, it's not expensive either. I'm making sure the price is cut down for our, our loyal listeners, our loyal readers out there who can support uh, the Baltimore Feather and, of course, the Nest Talk podcast. Uh, but now as we get into the episode, I'm sorry for the extended housekeeping thing here. We've, we've been doing a lot of work on the website actually over the past um, few weeks here. That extended housekeeping, a little too long in my opinion, but of course we have some news for the Ravens. If you've been following us on Instagram, Twitter, you'll know that Lamar Jackson was out of practice for a couple days with the flu. Now the first thing I want to let you know about that is he's okay. No long-term problems with Lamar Jackson does not seem to be an issue at all here. Um, And he was back to practice yesterday, which is huge because, you know, the Ravens want to make sure they're ready for the wild card not wild card, the divisional round playoffs next week. Remember, the Baltimore Ravens have a bye this this week. So there's no playing on Saturday or Sunday. There's four other games that are going to be played between the AFC and NFC's um, wild card rounds, two in each conference. The Ravens are not part of either of those. They're the first seed in the conference. They get to sit out the first round. So all they need is one win to ex- advance to the AFC Championship game, which is really beneficial for the Ravens, especially if Lamar Jackson needs a little bit extra time to rest because if he was coming off the flu into uh, into the fire of, of this week, right, he'd be going from you know out of the fi- frying pan into the fire on that one. So it would not be a very good situation for him. Um, but again, Lamar Jackson did return to practice for the Baltimore Ravens I think it was yesterday I believe I made that graphic yesterday um and if you're following us Instagram Twitter Facebook you'd know um you know I didn't write an article about that it wasn't super headline news but it was a good thing to get out there um so the other piece of news because you know the Ravens practicing here injuries I mean it doesn't seem like there's many the the Ravens don't have official injury reports on their website right, right now which is not um you know, not really great for us. Maybe that's because they don't have a game coming up, but it seems they're pretty healthy aside from that Lamar Jackson injury. There's not many injuries to worry about. Um, Today, the media in Baltimore gave out some awards to the players. Lamar Jackson obviously won MVP. Um, 
I think Orlando Brown won the like good guy award, something like that. Not a part of the the Baltimore media per se that you know, um, Baltimore Sun. Um, those guys are you know being a small website and such. So I don't get to say in this, but this is what happened. Um, they give out some awards today, so you can check that out on some of uh, their websites and such. But it does not look like there's a lot of injuries to to really go through. I, I don't really have a list of, of a lot of inj- of any injuries actually. Um, they're not up on the Ravens website. You know, there's some reports out there, but I don't really want to go through all that, especially when it's you know not really going to be relevant because we don't have a game this week. We are waiting until next week to play. There's no real reason um, to be worried about any any injuries as long as they're not major. And if they were major, I would tell you about them. So don't worry about injuries right now. Um, but the other news story, again, in the bye week, there's really not a whole lot of news. But we do have a big news story, specifically because it's January 3rd. It's the Friday uh, after the new year. Here is the long-awaited Associated Press NFL All-Pro list. First and second team. Six Ravens. That's right. Six Ravens made the All-Pro list. Five made the first team All-Pro list, which is the highest number in the National Football League for this year. You know, it's 2020 now. It's, 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 I can't believe it's 2020, but it's January 3rd, 2020. This is for the 2019 season, so I'm going to call it the 2019 All-Pro List. I don't know if you're actually supposed to call it 2019 or whatever, whatever it is. doesn't matter. It's the, um, the, the tw- I'm going to just call it the 2019 All-Pro List because it's for the 2019 season, even though it's 2020 now, just to clear up some confusion for you guys. Um, there are three Ravens on here who had never made an All-Pro list before. Three Ravens that have. Now, the first player to make the All-Pro list... Well, he's not really the first player to make it on this list because, you know, I mean, it's in voting, so it, it all happens at once. But Lamar Jackson, obviously, is on the, the All-Pro list as the first-team quarterback, and it really was not a close competition. The Associated Press let us know how the members of the press voted on this All-Pro list, and it's... I mean, I thought it'd be at least a little bit close for Lamar Jackson. I know he's the the MVP. There's no question. Lamar Jackson's going to win the MVP award in my mind. There's no competition. Um, but Russell Wilson has had a great year too. You know, he's the runner-up. He he's not close enough to Lamar Jackson to steal the MVP award from him, but he's the runner-up. I thought it would be at least a little bit closer, but it's not. Forty-seven of the fifty votes for quarterback went to Lamar Jackson. 47. The other three went to Russell Wilson. No Deshaun Watson. No Pat Mahomes for first team All Pro. That's it. It's Lamar Jackson. I mean, if I told you on draft night, you know, when the Ravens drafted Lamar Jackson, that he was he was going to win MVP. Well, first of all, he was going to be a Pro Bowler, first team All Pro, and MVP of the league in in, in 2019. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of optimistic Ravens fans. I don't think many Ravens fans would actually have have believed that. If I went back in time and told them that, they would probably say, you know, get out of here. He he'll be good, but he's not going to be MVP good. And here we are, forty seven of the fifty votes. I don't know what the the record is for most votes. I have no idea, but that's that's a lot of votes. Only three people said Russell Wilson deserved first-team quarterback over Lamar Jackson. And I would think it's at least closer because the deal with Lamar Jackson is the passing stats are great, but he only has like 3,000 passing yards. And I know the rushing yards, you can't. it's not that you take him away from him because he's quarterback, but there's a lot of people out there that would look at Russell Wilson and say, well, 
quarterbacks are more passers, therefore he has to, you know, be the, the, the guy up front. But only three people would agree that Russell Wilson would be a better quarterback in this than Lamar Jackson. But three out of 50, the other 47, and I don't think we get to know who voted for what, so we, don't, we can't put any names on these people, but 47 out of 50 voted Lamar Jackson, which is really astounding. And I'm happy for Lamar Jackson to be named to his first. This is his first time as an All-Pro. First of many, I would imagine, as long as he keeps up this pace. Now, the uh, there's three Ravens here in a row that, that um, are first-time, first-team All-Pros. The second Raven I want to highlight here is Ronnie Stanley. And Ronnie Stanley has been that Raven to just keep grinding for the past few years steadily improving every year and and I said earlier this year on on the film study podcast and in other places that I wasn't sure Ronnie Stanley was the best left tackle in the league at this point I think he is you know after watching the whole season you know because there's a lot of great left tackles out there you know um Taylor Luan in Tennessee is great there's there's a whole bunch of really good left tackles um David Batiari right in the Green Bay Packers he's great left tackle but 42 out of the 50 votes went to Ronnie Stanley. And even before that, I was starting to be convinced in the past, in the past few weeks that Ronnie Stanley is probably the best left tackle in the league right now. So shout out to all you guys, by the way. All you guys on draft night 2016 saying, oh, you know, we should have went for uh, Laramie Tunsil. You know, oh, the Ravens are just too scared to take him because he smoked marijuana in that video that got leaked, right? No. The Ravens came out and said after they drafted him, that it really wasn't an issue because they had Ronnie Stanley ahead of Laramie Tunsil. And there were reports, I don't know if you remember this, there were reports circulating that the before the draft even started, before the Laramie Tunsil situation even happened, there were reports circulating that the Baltimore Ravens had, or at least would consider, Ronnie Stanley over Laramie Tunsil. And at the time, everybody thought it was going to be Tunsil number one at left tackle because that was the, the undisputed to everyone else, best tackle available. As you know, Tunsil has carved out a decent career for himself. He's been a good left tackle. I think he was worthy of the of what was it, the tenth pick? I think he was worthy of the tenth pick. But if the Ravens picked him at six over Stanley, that definitely would have been a mistake in hindsight. And you gotta give credit to our man Ozzie Newsom up in the front office. And of course Eric DaCosta was there, and of course John Harbaugh was there. And of course um, Steve Bishotti, our owner, was there making that decision. All of them probably contributed to that decision. And they were right. Because now Ronnie Stanley, fourth year into his contract, he's going to get paid by us, I hope. He's going to get paid by somebody. I think we have the fifth year option left. Or do we exercise that? I don't remember. 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. So the fifth year option. I'm pretty sure we exercise it so he'll be on our contract next year. Got to pay him. But now... 42 out of 50 votes go for Ronnie Stanley. I think at this point, you know, I was getting convinced over the past few weeks anyway that he's the best left tackle in the league. And, of course, I, tr I really try not to be biased for the, for the Ravens, right? I really try to be an objective analyst about the Baltimore Ravens. I love the Ravens, but I try to be as objective as possible. But he's the best tackle in the league. And it's not just because he's a Ravens tackle. It's because he's the best pass blocker. He's a great run blocker. He does all these great things for the Ravens that other tackles aren't able to keep up with. And the 42 votes out of 50 show it. They show it. There's no other question about it. And, of course, he made his first Pro Bowl this year as well. 
Um, the next one I want to highlight here is Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey made his first time on the All-Pro list as well, so this is huge for him. The second, um, not the second round pick, in 2016, Ronnie Stanley was picked first round. In 2017, Marlon Humphrey is picked first round. 2019, you have uh, Marquise Brown, but 20, I'm sorry, 2018, you have Lamar Jackson, of course, Hayden Hurst is in there too, so 16, 17, 18, you have 1, 2, 3, all pros. Hayden Hurst, of course, is not there, but you know, we had two first round picks in 2019. So one of the first round, sorry, 2018, one of the first round picks was there, but one, two, three, fantastic. And all of them making their first all pro list right here. So Marlon Humphrey makes his first all pro list. He's actually tied with another cornerback in the list. Now I think they picked three all pros for the defensive backs, first teamers or something like that. Corners. He's tied with somebody else. He's tied with Marcus Peters, who has two pro uh, all pros before this. Both these guys made the Pro Bowl. Everybody on this list made the Pro Bowl, actually, on the Ravens list. And remember, the Ravens had 12 Pro Bowlers. Only half their Pro Bowlers made uh, the all pro list, though. But anyway, Marcus Peters also joins Marlon Humphrey as a Ravens defensive back to make the all pro list, the AP all pro list. Marcus Peters is third um, nomination to the All-Pro list, I believe, once was a first-teamer, once was a second-teamer, both tied with seven votes. So they are the two top cornerbacks in the league, according to the Associated Press. That's something right there. And, of course, you know, Marlon Humphrey has become a lockdown corner. Marcus Peters has a little bit of a reputation for being reckless. Now, with the Ravens, though, I don't think he's been reckless at all. I think he's been fantastic. But coming into Baltimore, you all remember, this wasn't long ago. This was a few months ago. For all of you on Twitter, you know. Search up Marcus Peters. You talk about Marcus Peters the day he was traded. You got people telling you he was a bum. Burnt toast was the, the best phrase going around. He was burnt toast. He couldn't do anything on the football field, according to people. He couldn't cover, you know, he, he couldn't cover Brashad per- a, a slow Brashad Perryman who can't catch, right? But, you know, Brashad Perryman all of a sudden now with, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can't drop a ball. Don't know what's happening there. Good for him, though, but don't know what happened there. Anyway, you know, we, we kept getting the whole, oh, my God, the, the Ravens lost this trade. First of all, even if he didn't pan out, even if he, he sucked, which he does not suck at all for the Ravens, he's very good. I don't know if you've noticed. He's very good. Even if he did suck, the Ravens only gave up an extra fifth-round pick because people forget we traded Kerry Vedvik, the backup kicker in the preseason, to the Minnesota Vikings for a fifth-round pick, and we gave a fifth-round pick for Marcus Peters. I don't think it was the same fifth-round pick, but it was a fifth-round pick. So the Ravens had an extra fifth-round pick anyway. And they gave up Kenny Young. And no disrespect to Kenny Young, but when the Ravens, you know, had that problem inside linebacker early in the year, Kenny Young didn't fix the problem. Josh Bynes and LJ Fort did. Two guys off the street came in, and I give them a ton of credit for coming in and balling out for the Ravens, but it just shows you that Kenny Young was not the solution for the inside linebacker position. The Ravens had to move on. They knew they were going to move on. So with an extra fifth-round pick and a guy they want, they were going to get rid of probably in the offseason anyway, they get a pro bowler all-pro who they just extended for $42 million through 2022. And then the Rams went out and paid like two first-round picks and other capital for Jalen Ramsey, 
who's a great corner, might be the best corner in the league. But was it really worth that price tag when you had Marcus Peters on the... No, it was not worth the price tag. Not at all. And the Ravens, you know, Eric Acosta finessed basically every team he's dealt with so far. Like, name a trade Eric Acosta has lost. I can't. The Joe Flacco trade. I love Joe Flacco. He's my favorite quarterback of all time. But this year was not his year at all. He was throwing poorly this year. He played poorly. And he got hurt. We got a fourth round pick for him. We got like a sixth round pick or whatever it was for Jermaine Illuminor. Jermaine Illuminor. From the New England Patriots. Didn't we get like a seventh rounder for, for Alex Lewis too or something like that? I mean, he just kept trading people away. Who we, we don't need getting higher returns. Kerry Vedvik, fifth round pick. He didn't even end up on the Vikings, but we got a fifth round pick for it. And these are all guys, you know, I appreciate for doing what they did for the Ravens. Good, bad, ugly. They were a part of the team. Support them. But Eric DaCosta found better value out there than maybe any other GM has has ever done. Honestly, I don't know. Look, I'm only looking at it from the scope of the NFL I know. And it doesn't go that far back, to be completely honest with you. It goes back... 2011 is really when I started watching the NFL. Like, a, like a decent amount. I mean, I, I'm... I'm really that new to it so I don't have I mean I know the history of the NFL but I don't know if there's another GM out there maybe Bill Belichick right could be the only one I can think of that has gotten this much value out of trades and of course his free agent signings Eric DaCosta have been tremendous too um you know Earl Thomas not an all proler but a pro bowler Mark Ingram not an all pro but a pro bowler who was the other free agent we signed this offseason there were three big ones weren't they Weren't there? How am I forgetting whoever it was? Somebody. but I Maybe it was just those two. I don't remember. There's a few free agents we signed. Um, you know, draft picks too. Great. I think Marquise Brown was a great pick too. But but to get back on topic here. Back to the all-pro list. I don't even know how it got all the way over here. Marcus Peters. Ravens won that trade. They both get seven votes. Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. They both make first-team all-pro. So that's five. That's that's four first team all pros so far. We got another one, and it's none other than Justin Tucker. Tucker deserves it, man. Now I don't have listed here how many votes he got. I don't know why. Let me just check that up real quick. He got thirty-four out of fifty votes. Josh Lambeau for the Jacksonville Jaguars came in second. With 11, Will Lutz, people forget, Will Lutz was a Raven for a little bit when he first came out. Three votes, Harrison Bucker for the Kansas City Chiefs, two. Justin Tucker, man, I mean, he is the best kicker that ever lived, period. The end, right? He's the best kicker that ever lived. There's no question about it. Now, this year, I mean, you know, it's super nitpicky, but, you know, 57 on 59 extra points, I like it better when he's perfect on those extra points that I mean that is super super nitpicky of me and I know it's really not my place to criticize I don't criticize him for it at all I kind of joke about it sometimes like oh my god the world's ending he missed a, a point after right but this I mean the dude when when you need him to be in the clutch he is clutch there is no question about it 
when you need him to go out there and win you a game in pouring rain, in terrible conditions, where no kicker should be able to hit a 48-yarder like he did against the 49ers, he'll do it. No problem. Nada. That's it. He's got it. And he does it consistently over and over and over again. I mean, I don't have to point to that 61-yarder to win the game in, in Detroit in his second year, do I? Because that is one of the... I mean, there are a few franchises in the league that would, that would, that would actually say, outright say, that his special teams play is one of their best in history. That would outright say it. It might be true for a lot of franchises... But a lot of them wouldn't want to admit that. But the Baltimore Ravens? No, we're not every other franchise. The Baltimore Ravens, essentially, they acknowledge that Justin Tucker's kick in Detroit is maybe one of their three or five best plays ever. What are the other ones? You got the Mile High Miracle. Um, maybe Shannon Sharp's touchdown against the Raiders in 2000, right? The the Jamal Lewis broke a huge rush. Uh, what? Oh, four oh five, something like that. I mean, there are a few plays. The fourth and twenty nine with with uh, Ray Rice. It's I may not be f- top five, but it's definitely a top ten play in franchise history. It's a great. It's one of the greatest special teams plays in league history. You know, the, it's not the longest field goal that's ever happened, but for a second year undrafted kicker to hit that sucker from sixty one to win a game, and the fact that the Ravens even put him out there. That just shows their unflappable confidence in and in, in, in what was what was an unproven kicker at the time. I mean, we all saw after his rookie season that he was special. That he's a good kicker. He was he was really good, but nobody knew he was going to become really the NFL's all-time most accurate kicker in history. I didn't see that coming. So Tucker making this. Um, all pro list, of course, doesn't have anything to do with that kick in 2013. But this year, he had 28 field goals on 29 attempts. I don't even know which one he missed. I have no idea. And then he has 57 out of 59 extra points. You know, here's my theory about the missed extra points that have gone up. Last year, he he hit one on a fluke on the 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 uh, the Saints game. But honestly, my theory about the extra points. It's because he's taking more shots at extra points than ever because the Ravens are scoring more touchdowns, I think, than ever at this point. At least in Tucker's career. I mean, Flacco in the offense had good years, but never this good. Because he's kicking so many extra points, you know, he's just bound to mess up more. I mean, that's just statistics, right? That's my theory on this. Don't know if it's, you know, actually going to hold up if you did it like a breakdown of why he missed two. And, you know, it is nitpicky to say two. But, you know, Justin Tucker, when you go, what was it, from 2012 to 2018 without a single miss on an extra point, you know, two, three misses in, in two years seems excessive. But for every other team in the league, I think they'd probably kill to have Justin Tucker. So he makes the all-pro list for, I believe this is the fourth time in his career. He made it, um, you know, I should really actually look ahead of time and actually write these things down. Okay, he made it. In 2013, the year he hit the 61-yarder, then he didn't make it until 2016 again, then 2017 as the second-teamer, then 2018 as a first-teamer, now again in 2019. This is his fifth All-Pro, um, not fifth 
pretty crazy for Justin Tucker. Now, someone else who's been on the All-Pro list quite a lot. The potential future Hall of Famer. I say potential because he's... I mean, I love this guy, but he's borderline. He's borderline Hall of Fame. It's Marshall Yonda. And people really... I don't think people really understand the value Marshall Yonda has brought to the Ravens. Because if you look at what a right guard needs to be, what an offensive guard needs to be, Marshall Yonda checks all the boxes, but he's not flashy. I mean, it's hard for a right guard to be flashy, let's be real. It's hard for any guard, any center to be flashy. But his consistency over the last decade for the Baltimore Ravens, I think, might be his greatest attribute in a Hall of Fame career. I mean, when it boils down to it, Marshall Yonda being a Hall of Famer, it's it's not guaranteed, but I mean it's it's border it's still borderline, but it's it's very very close. It's so close, and we'll see what happens. But I mean, it's a little disappointing for him to be um, only a second tier All Pro. It's a little disappointing. Um, you know. I, 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 I can see, you know, the guy in front of him was Zach Martin. I can see Zach Martin being that first-team All-Pro, but, you know, it is disappointing for Mushyanda. And what I think might be one of his best years ever, because you consider his age. I mean, he's no spring chicken anymore. He's, he's 35 right now, and he's still a dominant right guard in this league. Once you hit that 30 mark in the NFL, I mean, your time is ticking down. His 30s where a lot of players start to decline. But he's 35, and he's handling business at right guard better than most guys that have ever played the position right now. Now, Zach Martin, I, I think, is a phenomenal guard. I give, him a I, I give him a tremendous amount of credit. But I would have liked to see Marshall Yonda go up and get that first team. And maybe he's a snub, which we're going to talk about some snubs. I, you know, not making the, the, the all-pro list. And, of course, you know, all the Ravens can't make the All-Pro list. It's not, it's not going to happen. It, it never will happen. There will never be a year where one team has all the All-Pros. And if it ever happens, I mean, if that ever happened, then the league would need to make some serious changes. Because it's, it's not, you know, I don't, not that it's not fun, but it's, it's not fun. It, there's no parody in the league. And, and parody makes it enjoyable. You want to, on any given Sunday, as someone once said, you know, my team can beat your team. That kind of deal. Like, I maybe some people like college football better, and this is getting off track than the NFL. But in college football, my main gripe about it: Maryland going up against Ohio State. Does Maryland really have a chance to beat Ohio State? I mean, I know they did almost did a couple years ago, but do they really? Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, no. But the the Miami Dolphins going up against the New England Patriots, you would tell me that that's not going to happen. And then sure enough, it happened. They lost. The, the, the New England Patriots lost to one of the worst teams in the league in a game they needed to win. Because on any given Sunday in the NFL, one team can beat another team. So, I mean, but going back, you know, I, I want to talk about some, some potential snubs here. Guys, I think, who maybe should have, you know, been on, you know, this list. Now, you look at tight ends, okay? George Kittle... I agree. Number one, 
All-Pro. He's got to be the first-team All-Pro. That's who they decided on. The AP put George Kittle as a first-team All-Pro. And I agree with that. George Kittle, I think right now, is the best tight end in the league. Hands down. He's the, he's the best blocker and he's the best receiver. He is like Gronk. He's like Maybe he's even better than Gronk at this point. We'll see. But Kittle garners 33 votes. Now, Travis Kelsey garnered the other 17 remaining votes. And I like Kelsey a lot. But not a single person voted for Mark Andrews? Not a single vote? I mean, I know he's still new to the scene. And he's not the best blocker in the world. But not a single person voted for Mark Andrews. I thought at least one or two would throw a vote for Mark Andrews. It didn't happen. Now, I don't... You know, I don't expect Mark Andrews to have been actually winning either first or second team All-Pro in the votes. But I thought, I, I mean, I really thought someone would vote for him at least once. Didn't happen. Um, another guy I, I was looking at, you know, not on there, Pat Ricard. Like, fullbacks. The whole fullback thing... You know, the, there are no fullbacks on this list. There's, there's no fullback category. Why is there no fullback category? I know that a lot of teams don't even use fullbacks anymore. But the way Pat Ricard plays, I mean, he's so valuable. He's not even mentioned on the all-pro list. Not even as a running back. Not as a flex guy. N- nothing. Where are the fullbacks? No fullbacks. Very strange, if you ask me. I think that they should bring back the fullback position as a vote because there are teams out there. Kyle Juszczyk. What about Kyle Juszczyk, right, with the San Francisco 49ers? Huge deal. I I don't know if he's actually listed. He might be listed as a flex. Let me check on that. Um. And what's the last... Why, when do they bring flex into this? I don't even remember that being a category here. Um. I don't see Kyle Juszczyk at all. Nope, it doesn't look like he's here. Let me just make a search. No, no Kyle Juszczyk. No fullbacks at all. That's a snub right there. You know, someone else who I was kind of interested to see if he would be on the list. He's not. I think it's my last snub here. Unless I, yeah, just this last snub here. Earl Thomas. Now, I'm not sure he's a snub from this list, but I thought he'd at least, you know... Maybe you get second team All-Pro, but he's not first. He's not second. He's not the third guy on the list. He's not the fourth guy on the list. He's not the fifth guy. He's not even the sixth guy, nor is he the seventh guy. He's not even the eighth guy. He's the ninth guy on this list. Here are the guys placed above Earl Thomas, and I know he hasn't had the best, absolute best year, but no one's throwing to him, and that in itself, I think, shows that Earl Thomas is, is, has some value because no one's throwing to him. Jamal Adams, I understand being number one. I I agree. Minka Fitzpatrick's probably number two, but Justin Simmons in Denver, Tyron Matthew, Harrison Smith, Kevin Byard, Devin McCourty, and Buda Baker. Buda Baker over Earl Thomas. That's just criminal. I don't like that. No, I do not like that. And I understand he's not had the absolute best year. He's not had an Earl Thomas year. But no one's throwing to him. And in a secondary like this, there's plenty of, you know, interceptions, deflections to go around. But, I mean, how many times have you seen Earl Thomas make a play this year, honestly? And a lot, but a, a lot of that has to do with him not showing up. It has to do with the fact 
that he's not being thrown at because quarterbacks are scared of him. So, I mean, maybe that has something to do with it. But he does he gets a little bit snubbed from the all-pro list, just not getting any real votes. I think he has in total three votes. Jamal Adams is 28, Minka Fitzpatrick 27, Justin Simmons 9, Tyron Matthew 8, Harrison Smith 7, Kevin Byard 7, Devin McCourty 4, Buda Baker 4. Buda Baker over Earl Thomas, get out of here with that. Come on. You people know better. I don't think anybody else was actually snubbed from this list. No, it doesn't look like it. Yeah, that I, I mean, Mark and Mark Andrews, Mark Ingram, never really had a shot to make the list. The guy they did pick for the running back position um, is Christian McCaffrey, and McCaffrey, honestly, the best running back in in football right now. You know, t- he can hit one thousand yards rushing, one thousand receiving. He has the most value, I think, of any non-quarterback in this league right now. Um, maybe, maybe Michael Thomas has more value. Then Christian McCaffrey to, to the Saints offense, then McCaffrey does to the Panthers offense. But McCaffrey, I think, overall could plug and play into a lot of different teams and be super valuable. Derrick Henry, Tennessee's rushing leader this year, got 20 votes there. Nick Chubb got two, a little disappointing for him. Dalvin Cook won. Um, yeah, but, but Mark uh, Ingram never really had a shot at running back. I don't think there's anybody else who would have had a shot any of these either but of course we have 12 pro bowlers six all pros so you can't really go wrong there um okay we're pretty far into the episode now we don't have a whole lot again to talk about in news that's about it i hope i'm not missing anything but i do want to talk a little bit about the pittsburgh game this past um from this what was it this past sunday you know i so badly wanted to go i really wanted to go but stuck three hours away it was raining. They moved the game from 1 to 4, get back around 12, soaked in the rain. No starters are playing. I just, And I just had things to do. I couldn't make it. So th- that was the first Ravens home game of the regular season, at least, that I've missed since 2017. Um, so I'm sorry I couldn't live tweet from the game. But you know what? Even if I was at the game, I'd be in the rain. There's no way I would be able to actually tweet in that situation. So at least I was able to cover it, watch RG3, do his, do his magic against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I, I really want to talk about RG3's performance because I think it's important, you know, to have a backup quarterback capable of running the offense you have in place and carrying on the offense without much, you know, kickback. Now, he's never going to do what Lamar Jackson does for this offense, right? Lamar Jackson, hands down, might, I mean, hands down, I think is the best quarterback, um, best mobile quarterback in the league right now. Now, there's guys who could probably throw it better than Lamar Jackson, but, you know, with the ability to run, Lamar has it over everybody else right now. RG3 was that at one time. He's no longer that, and there's a, there's a litany of reasons. We could go through that. We're not going to go all through that, but mainly injury contributed to that. The good thing about RG3 that we saw from this game against Pittsburgh Steelers in a meaningless game you know, he was fired up for this game that was completely meaningless to the Baltimore Ravens, but for him it was not because it's his first start since 2016. The good thing we saw from him is he could still throw the ball, number one. And I know he had 10 incompletions on 21 tries. It's still over 50%, okay? But it was a, it was a monsoon out there. It was a deluge. I mean, it was pouring rain. Lamar would have had a bad time throwing out there. That's how bad it was. It looked worse in the 49ers game. I could barely even stand the 49ers game when I was there. You know, that was terrible. So it looked really bad out there. 
but he still completed on 96 yards. I think he threw a pick at the end of the game where it didn't actually matter anymore. So who cares? Um, you know, 96 yards through the air, but then he had, I think it was 50 yards. I'm trying to find it. Yeah, 50 yards on the ground. And he looked pretty good. I'm not going to lie. He looked pretty good. 6.3 average per carry. He was definitely not as fast as the starting quarterback, Lamar Jackson. I mean, you could tell he was not as fast, but he actually was faster than I thought he was. You know, we saw him run a couple times this year when Lamar was pulled in the fourth quarter. We saw him last in the Jets game where he looked actually kind of slow. Um, and someone on Twitter, George Seidel, um, pointed out to me that he wasn't wearing his, his knee brace. I, I haven't been able to confirm that or why that is, if that's true. I didn't notice it. Maybe it was hidden well underneath his um, his uh, his uh, pants or whatever. You know, but if he was not wearing his knee brace, that just shows you the Ravens think he's probably more healthy than he ever has been since his first knee injury. And he was moving around really well. Moving around very well. I'm Again, not the fastest guy on the team, but faster than 90% of quarterbacks. And he ran the Ravens offense the way it needed to be run. He did. He contributed on the ground. He contributed through the air. You know, he would have had more air yards if the game, if it was not pouring. Um, so overall, I think if, God forbid, Lamar Jackson went down in the playoffs, we wouldn't have the same dominance on offense. But we would have a quarterback capable of holding together the offense, scoring points, and keeping the Ravens in contention throughout the game, throughout the playoffs. That's what we've got in RG3. We might have one of the best backup quarterbacks for our system that you can get. I mean, the only other quarterbacks I can think of that would fit the system, who would be, you know, a potential backup, would be if you went out and signed Marcus Mariota, or if you drafted um, Jalen Hurts this year. And that's it. I don't, I don't even think they'd be as good as RG3. I think both of those guys would not be as good as RG3. I think RG3 is the absolute best quarterback to be the backup for this team, as long as he stays healthy, as long as he can stay athletic. And not taking hits, I mean, staying on the sidelines and not taking hits, that keeps him healthy for a while. And he and he gained a lot of confidence from that game. You could see him. He was out there having a blast. I don't even think he, he didn't even score a touchdown, but he was having a blast out there. And you know who else was having a blast? Gus Edwards. He was blasting through the defensive line all day long. The Gus bus, full throttle, full speed ahead. 130 yards on the ground. 130 yards. That's on 21 carries. That's 6.2 yards per play running the ball. That's just crazy. Didn't catch a single ball, but but he was the engine that drove the Ravens offense all day. That was his job. Driving the Ravens offense, hitting through the, the pile, just keep moving. And that's what he did. 130 yards belonged to him. And he's actually responsible for getting the Ravens over um, the New England Patriots record for most rushing yards in a single season. That record was not broken since 1978, okay? So that just shows you that the last time teams were running like this was a long, long time ago. I mean, ever since, like, Bill Walsh came in and introduced that West Coast offense, right? One of the most influential things in the NFL. If you don't know much NFL history, the most one of the most influential people in NFL and strategy was Bill Walsh. Invents the West Coast offense, right? Everybody starts passing the ball more than they're running the ball. 
because up to that point in the, in the early 1980s, everybody, you know, the running the ball was the predominant way to do things first. You run the ball first, then you pass. Passing is just the add-on to the run game for a long time. But teams moved away from that, slowly but surely. They moved away from that, especially with the West Coast offense, um, run and shoot. Then you got the air raid coming out of college, kind of implementing itself into the league now. There has been no team since 1978 to hit this many rushing yards. I think it's what the Ravens hit like 3,200-something rushing yards this year. Absolutely ridiculous numbers. And they got 3,000 passing yards too. Over 6,000 total yards in a single season. It's phenomenal. Unbelievable. But Gus Edwards hit that record in this game. He broke that record. And you know, for a second-string running back, this dude could be starting on a ton of teams. There's no question in my mind. Gus Edwards right now could start for maybe half of the NFL teams. Well, maybe... uh, Probably half, yeah. He's 5.3 yards per carry. That's third in the league. Third in the league in yards per carry. And he's a backup. Well, not so much a backup as in second string, but he gets a lot of he gets a lot of carries. 133 carries this year. 711 yards. As a second string running back. 711 yards. He had two games this year. He went over 100 yards. You know, of course... I think in both these games, he got some extra carries because of their blowouts, but against the Houston Texans, 112 yards. Against the Pittsburgh Steelers, 130 yards. Just insane numbers by Gus Edwards for a second-string running back. Pretty crazy. Um, Justice Hill looked okay, 3.9 yards per carry, a touchdown, 13 yards was his longest run. You know, I was disappointed we didn't see enough, in my opinion, of Trace McSorley. He got one play, it was a rush up the middle. You know, quarterback sneak kind of thing to get a first down. I thought that we'd see some more of him, especially in the fourth quarter as the score started to get out of hand. Um, You know, we won by 18 points in the fourth quarter. The Ravens scored an additional, you know, 12 to make it 28 to 10. I thought at that point the Ravens would probably put in Trace McSorley when the score, you know, it was apparent the Steelers were not going to win, especially with Delvin Hodge as a quarterback. No, they didn't. They only had him in one play. And I I was disappointed because I really wanted to see what Trace has. And it's no disrespect to RG3 because RG3, I think, is the quarterback to stay for the backup position for a while. But if RG3 is going to hold on to this backup position, we either have to have a role for Trace McSorley or we have to increase his value for a trade. Because I've said it before, I think Trace McSorley has his skill set to become a, a starter in the National Football League. I think he's got the mindset. I think he's got the talent. You know, he's undersized, but but he seems like one of those guys, I think, out, who could go out there and do something. If he gets a chance. And I want to see, you know, a little bit of a chance extended to him in this game to see, say to him, you know, what can you do? Let's see these skills that you've been developing all year. He hasn't played anything this year. You know, you don't need a third string quarterback on game day because he's just going to be inactive, right? If you had a Taysom Hill role, you could use him. But he doesn't have that, and he couldn't prove himself to have that, even though a lot of people thought he would get that kind of role, because the Ravens haven't given him really anything to do that with. And, and I thought in this game, they'd, they'd at least extend him some opportunities, they'd give him some chances, but he only gets one. And he got the first down on the run, that was his job, he got it. But he didn't get to pass a single ball, and after that first down run, that was it. He got one and done. And I was disappointed in that, 
especially when it became apparent the Steelers were not going to win. The Ravens didn't actually give Trace McSorley a chance to do anything um, for them, which, again, I think is really the only flaw in this game. The Ravens had a fantastic game, there's no question. But the, the only flaw is that Trace McSorley was not given, really, any opportunity to show his value to the Ravens. Um, now, you know, a lot of starters rested in this game. I have no idea why Marquise Brown was out there so much as a receiver. I have no real clue. Um, was a little annoyed at that, actually, because I want to make sure he's healthy for the playoffs. You know, you could have put in Chris Moore, Julio Scott, Miles Boykin, and Seth Roberts as a receiving core, and that had been done with it, but they had Marquise Brown out there. Maybe they just wanted to make sure Marquise Brown kept up the momentum. Two two receptions for 15 yards. That's fine. He didn't get injured. That's the main thing. Um, but I was concerned about him out there the whole time. But the Ravens receiving core didn't do a whole lot. You know, it was raining really heavily, so they didn't throw the ball enough. Well, they didn't complete the ball a lot. Um, Hayden Hurst, two receptions for 35. Willie Sneed, three for 22. Um, again, Marquise Brown, two for 15. Justice Hill got one for 10. Nick Boyle, one for six. Julio Scott, one for six. Gus Edwards caught a ball. I'm sorry, I thought he didn't catch a ball. One for two. Um, Roberts and Miles Boykin targeted once. Um, actually, Miles Boykin targeted twice. Roberts targeted once, but neither of them caught a ball. Gus Edwards had a single fumble in this game. You know, rainy situation, tough to hold on to the ball. It's understandable. He doesn't fumble a lot. Well, we'll excuse him in this this outcome here. Defensively, I think Brandon Carr had a fantastic day. Four total tackles, three solo, one assist, a sack, and two tackles for a loss. Great stat line for a guy who's really found his niche in this Ravens defense again because, you know, he was the starting cornerback. Then, you know, they get Marcus Peters, moves him around to safety, and all of a sudden things start clicking for him. Um, and he really filled a lot of different roles. I mean, he'll go back in the corner, he'll go out to safety. He's just a really all-around player, but they at least have to keep starting him to keep his streak up because he deserves that. He's still an integral part of the defense. Um, so he keeps moving around the defense, you know, and that's what we want to see out of him. Um, Matthew Judon had a, had a sack, you know, he's had a great year so far. Hope he continues it through the playoffs, but you know, this defense altogether did, did very well. Anthony Levine had a quarterback hit. Everyone really contributed here. And, of course, the big play, I think, was the um, the botched punt recovered by, um, what's his face, Jordan um, Jordan Richards, the former Patriots safety turned special teamer for the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, it just shows you how deep this Ravens team is, being able to come in and do some damage against a Pittsburgh team. I know a lot of the starters were missing from injury, but we were not... You know, they needed to win. We didn't need to win. We had our backups in. They had some backups in, but we continued to, to beat them. That was the key. Um, other than that, there's not really much to talk about. Sam Cook had a nice day punting, 46.7 yard average. Justin Tucker, 4 for 4 on all his field goals, and 2 for 2 on all his extra points. So that's the Pittsburgh Steelers game. It was meaningless for the Baltimore Ravens, but some guys found some meaning in it, especially RG3. Um, and of course, it, it really showed the depth of the Ravens, and I wrote an article about it basically saying, you know, the Ravens are not winning because Lamar Jackson dominates the competition. The Ravens are winning because they're a very deep team with talent all over the board and because Lamar Jackson's dominating the competition. It's a fact with both, but it's not a few great players at the top are carrying them, and that's the key. As long as all your guys are good, you're going to be a much better football team because if Lamar Jackson was just carrying the team, like we've seen Aaron Rodgers do for the Packers in the past, when he carries the team, 
he gets injured, that team tanks quick. If Lamar Jackson gets injured, I think the Ravens still have a shot at the Super Bowl. I really do. I mean, it wouldn't be a great shot, but I think RG3 is, I think RG3 is competent enough. He's good enough to keep the offense afloat, and I think the defense is good enough to be really good. I mean, the defense, from the way it started out this year, this defense, to the point where it is now, I mean, it, it might be the biggest transformation I've ever seen middle of the year. I mean, the only thing that compares to it was the Ravens' offense in 2017. That was so terrible. And then all of a sudden, midway through the year, when Flacco, you know, because people forget Flacco just played through injuries, and maybe he should not have done that, but he did. When Flacco got healthy again, middle 2017, they become like they came like the second highest scoring offense or some ridiculous thing, with you know, um, Alex Collins at running back. Like how does how did that even happen? That's still that's a really weird year. 2017 was a really weird year for the Ravens. But they got it done. I don't even know why I'm talking about that. I've lost my complete train of thought. But RG3, I think, you know, they would never... Oh, I was talking about the defense transformation. I'm sorry, I completely lost my train of thought. Defensive transformation, I think, in my opinion, might be one of the greatest ones I've seen. Maybe the offense in 2017 is the other one. But that's probably the greatest transformation midseason I think I've ever seen. And hats off to Eric DaCosta, who went out, got Marcus Peters, Got LJ Fort, got Josh Bynes. Um, Jihad Ward has been a big player for us. There's a lot of guys on this defense right now that were on the street, you know, week three, week four, not a part of any team. And the Ravens needed help. They went out, they found their guys, they reloaded, and it works. It works really well. Demata Pecco's having a nice time in Baltimore. A lot of different guys. So that was the Steelers game. You know, not a whole lot of importance there for the Ravens going. Uh, forward, but the Ravens, of course, don't have a game this week. But I do want to talk about the wild card weekend. We got four games to look at. Give you some scenarios, of course, for the Ravens because the AFC playoffs affect how the Ravens are going to go. Whoever wins, um, whatever the lowest seed that wins, will face the Ravens. So if the sixth seed is the one that wins, they'll face the Ravens. If the sixth seed loses, the fifth seed wins. They will face the Ravens. If the sixth seed loses, and the fourth seed wins, the fourth seed plays the Ravens. It's always the lowest seed. So the only team that Baltimore Ravens cannot play from the AFC is the New England Patriots. The Ravens will not meet the New England Patriots in the divisional round. They could meet them in the, the, the championship round, but they cannot meet them next week. Which I think, you know, is probably a good thing. Because personally, if we're going to meet the Patriots, I like it in the AFC Championship game because I think they're going to be the easiest. To be quite honest with you, I think the Patriots would be the easiest of the, two, the top three teams. Top two teams to beat. I think Houston... I mean, listen, I don't want to say any of these teams are going to be easy, but I think the their worst division winner, I think, really, is New England. I would not be surprised at all if the Tennessee Titans go in and knock them out. I would not be surprised. I might actually favor the Tennessee Titans tomorrow night at 8.15. You know, if I was betting, that might be a bet I place because I bet you most people would bet on New England. But Tennessee, sneaky. Ryan Tannehill is very sneaky. He's having a career year. I think he gets re-signed, I bet. I bet you he's a starting quarterback next year for the Tennessee Titans. Maybe this year's a fluke, but he's earned it. Fantastic year for Ryan Tannehill. 
he's playing much better than Tom Brady is. And people are saying, oh, you know, Skip Bayless, for instance, is saying, oh, you know, Tom Brady, no supporting cast. That's the reason the offense in New England isn't working. First of all, why is it that Tom Brady, and I don't mean to bring up Joe Flacco here, but why is it Tom Brady when his supporting cast, even though it's got Mohamed Sanu, even though it's got Nikhil Harry, even though it's got um, Julian Edelman, three better receivers than maybe Joe Flacco had at any point in the, after the Super Bowl except for 2014, why is it that Tom Brady doesn't have any weapons? That's why he's not winning. I mean, that's, not, that's why he's not doing well. Why is it that that's right? But when the same thing, even worse, even worse for condition, happened to Flacco, why is it that it was all Flacco, none of the sporting cast's fault? That's, the, that's what the media kept telling us. I know Ravens fans understand, you know, Flacco was declining. The injuries were becoming a factor to Flacco. That was the biggest problem with him, with injuries at that point. But the media is just making excuses for Tom Brady. That's my point. They're making excuses. Ryan Tannehill doesn't take excuses anymore. Ryan Tannehill had his excuses in Miami. He don't got them anymore. He ran out of them. That's why he's not in Miami anymore. He has an opportunity to go in and knock off the Patriots. I think it might happen. And honestly, I don't really want to face the Tennessee Titans, to be quite honest with you. They're the only team that we could face that we don't know anything about because we beat the Buffalo Bills. We beat the Houston Texans. We, we, you know, we can't face New England next week, but we beat them. We haven't played Tennessee this year. We have not. With Ryan Tannehill going crazy, you know, producing some of the best numbers since he started, some of the best numbers in the league have belonged to Ryan Tannehill since he started. Like, he's, in my mind, he's comeback player of the year. Hands down, comeback player of the year. We don't know what the Tennessee Titans would be capable, capable of against the Baltimore Ravens. I don't mean, you know, I don't mean to say that a 9-7 team is going to beat the Ravens in the divisional round as, a, you know, the number one seed. But all I'm saying is it's the only unknown that the Ravens can face. The Ravens have faced Buffalo. They faced Houston. They have not faced Tennessee. Now, the Buffalo Bills are going to take on the Houston Texans, too. In Houston, I mean, this is a game that's going to be interesting. You know, this might be a weird wild card week situation where in the AFC, I favor both visiting teams. In my honest opinion, I think the Buffalo Bills are a better team than the Houston Texans. But, of course, being at home, you know, they rested most of their starters last week. Houston did. So did Buffalo, though. Um, Deshaun Watson's going to be ready. You know, got DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins in there. I think Carlos Hyde will be there. You know, all these guys have been doing well this year. In Houston, they might win. I mean, they might they might have the edge. But Buffalo's, I mean, you can't count Buffalo out. They're having a phenomenal year. No matter how you slice it, the Buffalo Bills have had a really good year for what Buffalo usually is. Sean McDermott, lots of credit to him. Tons of credit for this guy. Because he's a winner in Buffalo. How many coaches can win in Buffalo? They tried for 20 years to get the playoffs. They couldn't do it. Sean McDermott has done it twice in three years now. I, I, I think I favor the Bills here. I mean, it's tough, but I think I favor the Bills to win against the Houston Texans. I favor the Tennessee Titans to beat the New England Patriots. That's my official take. These are my official takes. I favor both these wildcard teams to come in and beat the um, beat the home team. Now, moving over to the NFC, even though this doesn't, you know, affect the Ravens. You know, we're talking about wildcard weekend. We may as well talk about all the teams here. 
I don't project the Minnesota Vikings to beat the New Orleans Saints. I currently think the New Orleans Saints will make the, the Super Bowl. I think the Ravens will make the Super Bowl too at this point. And it's not trying to be biased for the Ravens. But I think the way they're playing, no one stopped them. No one seems like they can stop them. The only team I'm questioning, I mean, Tennessee, I don't, it's more unknown with them. I, I, I think that we'd probably beat them, but I don't like the unknown factor. Kansas City is the only team I'm, I'm actually nervous about. But I think the Ravens make the Super Bowl. I think the New Orleans Saints make the Super Bowl too. So I don't think the Minnesota Vikings stand much of a chance. I think the Saints will hand them a 17-point loss. That's my official take there. Moving over to the other NFC uh, wildcard game, Seattle Seahawks and Philadelphia Eagles. It's going to be a lot closer than people think. A lot of people are just going to discount the Eagles as, you know, oh, they just got lucky because the Dallas Cowboys sucked this year. And that might be true. But the Eagles have played some very good football in the past few weeks. Seattle Seahawks don't want to be in their situation. They wanted to be the AFC, NFC West champions. They thought they were going to be the NFC champ, NFC West champions when they had Marshawn Lynch on that one yard line. They had the shot to put him up the middle, and then they get to delay a game. I I bet you every single fan in that stadium, every single Seahawks fan watching, when when they got to the one yard line before the delay of game. When they got to the one yard line and they saw Marshawn Lynch come in there, they thought they were they won the game. But a stupid mistake kicked them out of that position, put them five yards back, and they came up inches short. So what's the lesson with that? Seattle Seahawks choked. The Philadelphia Eagles found a way to work their way in. Philadelphia is a hotter team right now than Seattle. In my honest opinion, Philadelphia is hotter than Seattle, but it's going to be a lot closer than people think, but Seattle's still going to win. Seattle will find a way to beat the Eagles in a very tight game that people don't expect coming. They will find a way to beat the Eagles. And Seattle will move on to the uh, NFC Divisional Round. So, if all of this works out the way I think it's going to work out, the Baltimore Ravens would be playing the Buffalo Bills at home, which is maybe not what I want because I'd rather have the Houston Texans coming back to Baltimore because I think we'd handle them better than the Buffalo Bills. I think Buffalo's a tougher team. I would rather have Tennessee winning. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I would rather have Houston winning, but I don't think that's happening. I think Buffalo will be Houston. I think the Tennessee Titans are going to be the New England Patriots in the wild card round. I know it sounds crazy, but I think that's true. So I think, what, what am I saying? We wouldn't face Buffalo. We'd face Tennessee. Tennessee would come to us. Buffalo would go to the Chiefs. Tennessee's the only unknown we could face in the divisional round, but I still think we'd probably take care of business. But we'll get to that point next week. I'm not going to speculate on what a Ravens-Tennessee matchup would be because we have to wait till next week to actually know what we're going to do. I think the Saints beat the Vikings, so they go on to face the Packers. And then I think the Seahawks beat the Eagles, so they go on for a rematch again with the 49ers, which I'm so glad that that rivalry is renewed. I wish, I so wish Jim Harbaugh was still the coach in San Francisco because I love the, you know, the Harbaugh-Pete Carroll battles that kept going on. But here we are now. Um, this rivalry with Kyle Shanahan now at the helm is back. And it's, it, it, we're going to see another matchup, I think, here with the 49ers and the Seahawks out in San Francisco. So that's my wildcard preview for you guys. Just happy Purple Friday, though. No Ravens playing this weekend. I know it's 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 been a while since we've seen Lamar play. We all want to see him play again, but we want to make sure he's healthy, ready to go, because if he had the flu coming back, it, it, it may not have been pretty. So he'll be healthy. He'll be ready to go. 
for next week. And for next week, make sure you're subscribed to the Baltimore Feather um, newsletter. So that way, anything that happens before next week's game that's important, you'll get it in your email inbox. Any podcast we put out, you'll get it in your email inbox. If you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever, YouTube, you'll get it in your inbox um, on YouTube. If you're on iTunes or Spotify, you can download it immediately when it comes out every Friday. And, of course, you can find the podcast on the website, BaltimoreFeather.com. Go to the podcast page. Uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, it's Nest, at Nest Talk or at Be More Feather. You can for the Baltimore Feather. You can find me at Chris Linfon on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Just search up the Baltimore Feather or Nest Talk on Facebook. This has been a great show, I think, for you. I'm glad you guys listened. You know, great season so far. We're so close. Just a, just as long as they get to next, or as long as they win next week, we'll see what they can do in the AFC Championship. But we got to see what these wild card games unfold. So kick back, relax this Saturday, this Sunday, and watch some football. You're not super invested in it. There's no stress to go along with it. So watch, you know, other teams reach new heights and other teams fall down to where they don't want to be anymore. So we'll see you next Friday. But of course, I'll keep keep coverage up on BaltimoreFeather.com until, um, well, I'll just keep going with it, you know, as we we near this uh, divisional round game next week. This is Chris Linfont signing out. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next Friday for episode 60. Stay tuned. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com.